hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson in studio with Jasmine Allnut. And we're here with another episode of Women Worth Knowing. Mm-hmm, indeed. And what we're doing right now is a, a medical, yes. looking at nurses and doctors. doctors. Yeah, we've been doing a lot and of maybe that. you remember that uh, Jasmine took us on a whirlwind tour yeah. of six <laughs> different the houses of six different women. Mm-hmm. Mostly so, missionaries, medical missionaries. Yes, which mm-hmm. is just, you know, astounding. This is a way to. Uh, have the door open. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. want to talk today about probably somebody who's been so requested. It is. Yes. Yes. She's definitely been uh, asked for over and over again. Margaret Lally. Yes, we hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Helen Rosevere, Dr. Helen Rosevere, who um, I had read her autobiography years ago, Give Me This Mountain, when mm. I lived in England. And it was interesting because I had a certain impression of her. You know, a doctor going to the Congo, you're like, oh, she must be so intense and yeah. must be so strong. And then I've been watching videos. There's lots of videos on YouTube about her. Hmm. And there's also a special about Mama Luca, which is on uh, about her on Amazon Prime. With If you have Amazon Prime, it's free. And it's fascinating. It's so is great. she in it or it's about her No, she's life. in it. Oh, she's in it. She's in it. Oh, in fact, she was 63 years old when she made wow. it. And she went back to the Congo and she talked about it with these British reporters. It's excellent. It's so good. But when you see her... And you listen to her on these different interviews. She died in 2016. You're like, she's like the nicest lady ever. Mm. She's so sweet. She's so humble. And you say to yourself, I wish I had known her. And I can't wait to find her in heaven. (laughs) So as we said before, she's one of our most requested women. Mm -hmm. She was born in England on September 21st, 1925. And she died in Northern Ireland in Belfast, um, on December 7th, 2016, she was a doctor. She was an evangelist. An evangelist, that was like what she longed to be more than anything else. She was a teacher and an author. She wrote 10 books. And um, as I said, I was struck when I was watching some of the videos, how kind, how fun, how gentle, and how loving she was. So to prepare for this, I went back and I read um, three biographies of Helen Rosevere and then just watched everything I could. Very thorough. Good for you. On YouTube, right. (laughs) So she was born to Martin and Edith Rosevere. So later, he will become Sir Martin Rosevere and her mother will be Lady uh, Edith Rosevere. And I think that her father was knighted because of his work uh, during World War II. Wow. So okay. before so, that, he was a school inspector. So were they aristocratic or it was more they were just honored for their no, service? No, no, no. They were definitely in the upper class. Okay. Uh, two of her uncles died in World War I. Okay. And two of her uncles both became Anglican bishops. Oh. And so it was definitely a a very uh, prestigious family that she was born into. And her father was a school inspector. He started out as a mathematics teacher professor and then later became a school inspector. So he would make sure that the curriculums. And so it was a it was a very uh, well-paying, very mm-hmm. um, intelligent, you know, yeah, well-respected the yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. job. And so she was the second child and the first of four girls. She had one older brother, Bob, who was just two years older. And then she had uh, three younger sisters. 
She was very smart and she excelled in school. Um, She absolutely loved school and she loved the intellectual aspects of school. And she got higher grades than all of, you know, the other girls in her class, but it wasn't because she was competitive. She wasn't. She was just challenged by the material and she loved learning. She had this like thirst for learning. Was there a drive in her because she had such an intellectual family? Was that? Could be. She loved mathematics. Like math was her her favorite subject. pants. (laughs) Right. At eight years old, she heard about missionaries at her Anglican church and she prayed to become one. She just knew that she wanted to be a missionary and she didn't even know the Lord really. She believed in the Lord, but she didn't have like a personal relationship with him. But she knew that she wanted to be a missionary someday. Um, Her parents weren't committed to the Lord at all beyond going to church. And church was mainly because they were English, and English should be Anglican, so they would go to church. Then at 12, she went to a boarding school in Wales. Now, she always would say of herself that she was naturally shy, but she was also a born leader, and all of her report cards uh, always spoke about her natural ability to lead. She was athletic, and she was smart. And she was also a bit of a rascal. And once she scrambled out of the window of the school gym and down a pole and led all these other girls to do it, and she did it just to prove that she could. Again, she was always kind of challenging herself. It wasn't because she was competitive. She just was like, I think I could do that. And then she would, and she could. Uh, But she didn't realize that the whole time she was doing this, she was being watched by the headmistress. Oops. <laughs> and so she got pulled in. Now, by her own estimation, Helen would say she wasn't attractive. She had sandy-colored hair and hazel eyes. I mean, she would say of herself, I was rather plain. I just was always just oh. rather plain. I didn't stand out. She was skinny um, all of her life She was and short. And growing up, she was called Peggy by her family and friends. Now, during her years at school in Wales, England declared war on Nazi Germany. And her father had been telling the family for a long time, this Hitler guy, he's a bad guy. This is wrong. The buildup and the escalation in Germany is not good. And then on September 3rd, 1939, she was at home uh, from school. She hadn't left for the fall term yet. And she heard an announcement by Neville Chamberlain on the radio announcing that England Mm. was declaring war on Germany. Mm. She returned to school in Wales with her sister, her younger sister, Jean. Uh, And many people at this time were moving out of London and um, to Wales and even sending their children there for safekeeping. Her father at this time was transferred from being a school inspector and he became head of the Ministry of Food. So he had to design the system that was able to feed all of England during these war years. And he came up with the idea of ration cards and passing out ration cards and how much food he would measure, how much food they had, how long it could last, and how much each person was allowed each day. So it was a really incredible job. And at one point, London became so dangerous that they moved the whole ministry out of London, and they moved them to Wales. And for Helen, this, in some ways, this was good news because her father now was only 16 miles away from her sister Jean and herself. The ministry, mean the the government, that uh particular. The government. Mm -hmm. But her father himself was only 16 miles, so they could go visit their father. (laughs) So on one occasion when they went to visit him, they realized that he was living in the closet in his government office because the housing 
the housing market was in so much demand in Wales because that's where everyone wanted to get out of London. Oh, that's like in the Narnia Chronicles when you read about the kids going out to the country. Everybody, yeah. Exactly. So he's actually just living in his closet. That's where his bed was. And, you know, he had a little makeshift stove and he was living in his office. One day after Helen had gone back, her parents lived outside of London. And she'd gone back to visit her mother. And she and her sister Jean were back uh, were on their way back to Wales and they'd gotten on a bus and the bus had to go through London. That was the way the track went. And all of a sudden, these German planes came overhead. And she talked about how there'd be 900 planes at a time. There'd be those that would be guiding the bombers. And so they would lead and there'd be 300 and there'd be 600 bombers. Can you imagine yeah. this? Just, it would seem like the whole sky sky, was filled with these bombers. So she's on the bus and everyone panics because it's London and these bombs begin to fall. And these two women push off the bus as quickly as they can, leaving Helen and her sister stranded on the bus. So the bus looks very vulnerable in the middle of the street. And these women and everyone who could get off the bus, they go running into this building. And Helen and her sister are trying to get off the bus, but they're trapped. They can't move. And all of a sudden, they watch one of the bombs hit the building that all those other people on the bus run into. And it explodes into flames. And she can hear the screams. And it's just engulfed. And there's no way. And she realizes that, but for the grace of God, she'd be in that building and she'd be among the dying. How old were they? I mean, just— She's like— uh, 15 or 16 oh, at gosh. the time. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible it's traumatic. to live through that. I mean, I don't think that we ever realized what it was like to live through those times. Mm-hmm. So the war really made Helen begin to search for God. And interestingly enough, it was through the war and the evil. And her father, again, knew like firsthand the evil that was going on in Germany. And this is what caused her to begin to believe in God. She didn't know God personally, but she believed there had to be a God because of the evil that was going on. And so she graduates from the school in Wales, and she puts in her um, application, and she's accepted to the medical program at Cambridge. So at that point, the medical program itself, like at Cambridge, was only two years. So you would just learn all of this in two years, and then you would intern at a hospital. That's because the need was so great because of all these soldiers uh, returning from the front and because of all these people who were being hurt, maimed by the bombings. So they were desperate for medical personnel. Right. So they did this fast track at Cambridge, and then she was going to be interning at the hospital. So there were 250 uh, male students uh, that applied for this. There were 25 women. Can you imagine? 25 women. And because of the pressure and prejudice against the female students, and she said it was really, really rough, uh, 13 girls dropped out. So she was pretty much, you know, just with these— She's like Elizabeth Blackwell all mm -hmm, over again. (laughs) mm -hmm, With 13 other students. So she was 
really feeling lonely when she went to Cambridge. I mean, she was used to Wales. Her sister was still in Wales. And now she's going and she's on her own and she knows nobody. And, you know, it's college. And, you know, every day your life is in your hands. You don't know whether your life is going to end. You don't know how the war is going to go. And so she's in Cambridge. And she gets to her room. And there's a note on the door of her room. And it says, if you don't have any other place to go after supper, and you'd like to make some friends and have some coffee, come to room 12. And it's signed this girl, Dot, or Dorothy. Cute. And so Helen goes to supper, and she's very lonely. She's eating all by herself. So she decides she's going to go to room 12. And when she goes to room 12, there's a group of girls And she said they were the nicest girls. Now, she's been in boarding school. She knows girls. She has sisters. But she said this group was the nicest group she had ever, ever met. They were kind to each other. They didn't gossip. They always said complimentary things. And they were really outgoing. They always made sure she wasn't alone, that she had somebody to walk to class with, somebody to talk to, somebody to eat with at the suppers. And so she just felt immediately welcomed. And she learned that these girls were all part of the Christian union at her school. (laughs) But um, the war was still going on. And at this point, Germany began to launch 100 missiles a day. 100 missiles a day. So every day she would hear this sound of this whizzing, and they called them doodlebugs. And she could hear... The whizzing, and as long as you could hear like the, you know, the hiss or the, the sound of these doodle bogs, you knew you were safe, that it wasn't going to hit you. They were going overhead, but also there was the knowledge that they were going to hit somebody somewhere. Over a hundred of these every single day, and so again, you know, this this is making her search. She's, you know, what's going to happen if she dies? What's going to happen after death? And she begins to, you know, seek the Lord. So these girls were all part of what was called the Cambridge Women's Intercollegiate Christian Union. And they invited Helen to come to it. Well, Helen still felt very much like an Anglican. So her Sundays were like this. She would go to uh, Mass and then, and I'll, for reasons I'll explain in a little bit, she would go to the communist meetings, and then she would go to the intercollegiate Christian union. Did she think she was a Christian then, kind of? Like, well, I go to church, so I'm fine. I can just hang yes. with these people. So well, she thought actually, she was okay. She also loved doctrine. She loved ah. doctrine. She liked studying, like, and debates. She loved mm-hmm. debating. But she'd find that these girls mainly wanted to talk about scriptures, and what they were reading, and how it made them feel. And she really didn't like the touchy-feely language. She really liked, you know, more the, like, academic. Yeah. The academic. (laughs) So anyway, she was, again, as I said before, she was a natural-born athlete. So she joined both the cricket and the soccer team. And she wasn't as good at cricket as she was at soccer. And she became a goalkeeper. And she was, like, amazing as a goalkeeper on the soccer team. But the president of the, or the you call it president, uh, you know, the person, the team. Captain? Captain, yes. Yeah. The team captain was a, a girl named Olga. And <laughs> Olga Hardcore. was an outspoken atheist and communist sympathizer. Well, Olga, that's a hint where she's from. Olga, right. Well, actually, she was from England. Oh, never mind. Not she's Russia. not okay. She's not Russian, no, but she's got this name, and she just thinks communism is the way to go, and she's the captain of the team. And she's the one who invited 
Helen to go to the communist meetings. And Helen really liked Olga, so she felt like she had to do this for Olga. So in Christmas of 1945, her mother wrote to her that she couldn't come home for Christmas because her younger sister, Diana, had the mumps. And then, you know what mumps were. This was before the inoculations. Yeah. That's dangerous. For mumps, right. And it was super, super dangerous, especially for someone of Helen's age, to get mumps. And so a family would have to quarantine. So Helen couldn't go home because the family was under quarantine. And so Helen's thinking, I don't get to go home. Remember, World War II? She can't go home for Christmas. It was a really hard time. But the Christian Union said, there's a lot of us that can't go home for Christmas. So we're going to Mount Hermon, which was a— campground that was in London. We're going to go there and we're going to have a a Christian Union retreat. You want to come? So she said, yes, she really wanted to go. And so she went. And again, she found the girls reading this time Ephesians. (laughs) And they're talking about these scriptures. And she said, they're reading them like they know exactly what it means. And like the book of (laughs) Ephesians was written for them. And she's like, oh, is it written for you? It was written for, you know, the Ephesians. And they're talking about what it means to them. And she said, they're making the word of God so personal and so applicable. And she'd never, ever heard anyone do that type of thing. (laughs) Then she was so ready to argue doctrine and discuss some of the communist ideas that Olga was suggesting. And she thought, we're going to have these deep dialogues. And, you know, I'll tell them what Olga is telling me about communism. And I just, you know, want to get their thoughts. But they weren't interested. And every time she would try to steer the direction towards one of these, you know, somebody would talk about some scripture they read and how the Lord ministered to them. And later they were talking about the love of Jesus and how much they love Jesus and how much Jesus loved them. And they were decided to do a Bible study in Romans, doing the same thing they had done with Ephesians. And she got miffed. She got really miffed. She's sitting at dinner and she's like miffed. And the more the girls talked about the love of Jesus and the kinder they were to her, as she's getting upset, the more miffed she is. And she said she was the most miserable person at the table. And she didn't know quite what to do, but she just got up from the table and went running out because she knew she was acting terribly. And she just like, I'm getting out of here. And she found this room all by herself. She closed the door. And she fell on her knees and she began to say, God, if you're real, you just have to speak to me. I don't care what you say, but you have to speak to me. We have to settle this question. Can I have a personal relationship with you? Do you want me? As these girls are talking about. And she said she looked up and the room's dark, but the light fell on this one scripture poster, which is, this is incredible because you got to remember there are blackouts. So Mm. that fact that there's some light that's coming in and it's on this one scripture plaque. And she said the last word of the scripture had been wiped out, but it was from uh, Psalm 46. And it said, be still and know that I am. And she said she couldn't see the word God, but it was exactly the, the answer to her question. She felt like right then God was saying, you asked to speak to you, and I'm speaking to you, um, of all the rooms that she chose. Awesome. And it said, I am. Be still and know that I am. And right there, she gave her life to Jesus. Awesome. And she said from the moment she gave her life to Jesus in that room, she loved Jesus. That's all she knew. She just loved Jesus. She said, with that reception came this incredible, overwhelming love for Jesus. <laughs> and 
God had met her. And from that moment on, she loved Jesus. So mm-hmm. she went downstairs and the girls are all looking to her and they said, what happened to you? Something happened to you. And so she looks at him and she said, I've encountered God here and I know he has forgiven me. And, and, and that's all. She said she oh couldn't my even gosh. think of anything else to say. <laughs> she just knew she had truly, truly met the Lord. Mm-hmm. Helen also went and she she never owned a Bible. So she found a Bible. At, uh, they had like a little kiosk where you could buy a Bible. So she bought her very first Bible. Mm-hmm. And the Reverend Graham Scroggy happened mm-hmm. to be yeah. one of the speakers. And she asked him if he would sign her Bible. And he wrote Philippians 3.10 in it and especially highlighted that I may know him Mm. and you know the rest of that scripture is that I may know him the the fellowship of his suffering power of his resurrection and that became very much a theme scripture for her but how cool because Psalm 4610 be still and know that I am God that was where she needed to start Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that with the no better there with the no and so the war ended in 1945 with the surrender of Japan and Helen and the others were able to continue their studies. Interestingly, um, well, I'll get to that in just a second, but Helen began to share the Lord with Olga. And she and Olga had many discussions. And Olga was always saying, oh, Helen, you're too intelligent to believe these things. How can you believe these things? However, one day, Helen felt led to invite Olga to a Christian retreat where Dr. Barnhouse from the United States was sharing So one night after Dr. Barnhouse, oh, Olga said no. And Helen felt the Lord put on her heart, Olga will go, prepare for Olga to go. So she made room for Olga to go. And sure enough, at the last moment, Olga showed up at her room and said, I am going. So Olga goes with her. And, you know, one night after Dr. Barnhouse spoke, he gave an invitation to receive Jesus. And he hadn't done that before. This whole retreat, he hadn't given any invitations. But he himself later would testify that the Lord put it on his heart to give an invitation. And to everyone's surprise, Olga stood up. Helen was elated until she talked to Olga afterwards. And Olga said, this is only an experiment. I'm giving God just enough time to prove himself to me. Otherwise, I will be a communist forever and ever. So then Helen told the other girls, and so they're praying for (laughs) Olga. Interesting. God did prove himself to Olga. Olga had been a scientist and part of the science department at Cambridge, but she began to see the Lord and just begin to walk with the Lord. I mean, God— God made himself known to Olga. One day, Helen had met this um, young girl. She had been an African princess, and her whole family was Christian. And she was at Cambridge uh, University. And she said to Helen, she said, look, my sisters all go to this Christian school, but they're 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 losing their headmistress and they really need somebody who will watch over the girls and who will be like a dean to the girls and just care about the girls and their spiritual needs. So she said they need it immediately. So she and Helen prayed. And about 10 minutes later, Olga walked in the door and she said, I've just quit the science department. They're so ungodly. They're so cruel. I can't work there. I just want a place where I can go and grow in my faith with Jesus. I just want to get closer to Jesus. And Helen said, you won't believe the opportunity and what we were just praying for. 
So Olga put in her application to be the dean of girls, got it, grew in her faith, uh, worked there among all these girls, and then she ended up getting married and becoming a missionary to Japan with OMF. And she served in Japan and Get prepared because Olga will be coming up in a later say, you're broadcast. Do a podcast on oh, her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast on Olga. I love it. Um, but she worked for 30 years in Japan with mm. OMF. So Helen finished her degree in 1947 with full honors. However, Cambridge in 1947 refused to let women graduate publicly. And even though she was one of the top students, they sent her her degree in natural science in the mail. Yeah, you just think by the 20th century, everything had been dealt with already, but there's still these issues. Yes. Well, her sister Jean graduated the year after her with the same degree in the natural sciences, and she got to walk. Oh, So this was, was the, the last year okay. that women were not allowed to publicly be seen as graduating from Cambridge. Interesting. And that was her, her class. <laughs> after that, she took an internship at a hospital in London, and this is where her schooling became in earnest because she was practicing. And uh, she, at the same time, she started services in her parents' garage. They had moved to London by this time uh, for the Crusader Union, just inviting all these young girls to come. And it was held in there, or you would say in London, her garage. Garage, yes. And at the hospital, she desperately wanted to share the gospel. So she got permission to hold Christian services on Sunday and to visit the patients. So she bought a harmonium which is like an accordion. Yeah. <laughs> and she could only play with two fingers. She actually didn't know how to uh, play. So she would, you know, pump it and hold just like down the one chord. It's a tricky instrument to yes. choose. <laughs> and she would sing. And she said her voice was not very good at all. But she would sing and then uh, pass out the um, the words to the songs. And she would sing, and then she would share a Bible message and give an invitation. So she did this the whole time she was in the internship. And she had one soldier who actually responded. In fact, she was so shocked when he was responded. She didn't, she was like, oh, how do I pray with him? And, you know, how do I disciple him? She was so excited. And she had one of the patients who also responded and re uh, received Jesus uh, from her message. Um, so... I, I don't want to go into the next part right? because the next part is part of her training. Oh, okay. And I don't think we have much time left, but I, I just wanted to to talk about like just this great desire that she had to share Jesus and to get yeah. Jesus to others, even while she's interning. Interestingly enough, she's interning and part of hers is, you know, she learns to set bones and she learns to do surgery. And the one thing she hated was blood. She That's hated weird, no. <laughs> surgery. And she hated blood. And really, the only reason she became a doctor, because when she first went to Cambridge, she was going to become a scientist. But she ended up going towards medicine because she wanted to be a missionary. And she remembered that at eight years old, and she thought about being a missionary, or she wanted to serve people. Like, how can God best use me to serve him and to tell people about Jesus? And she said, well, if I'm a doctor, then I can tell right. people about Jesus. So that's why she went into medicine. That is a practical open door. I mean, we've talked about that with a lot of these gals, that that was an open door and an opportunity. And then you bring the gospel in with that. So bring that makes gospel. sense. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but her number one heart was evangelism. Mm. And if you watch any of the uh, videos on YouTube, and I would encourage you to watch the videos, you see that her heart is that she just loves Jesus. And she just wants to talk about Jesus to anybody. And I love this. She's 
interning. She's got like all this work at the hospital and yet she's doing the Christian union meetings and her garage and she's doing evangelism and she's actually going into the patient's rooms on Sunday with her harmonium. Yeah, trying to bring it. I was like, wow, that's, you know, you know she loves the Lord if she's willing to just be like, I don't even know how to play this thing. I'm going to just do it. <laughs> I'm just going to do something to bring people to yes. Jesus. So when um, next week, what I want to talk about is just the, the call, mm. the call and the direction and how she ended up um, on the Congo and the Congolese. And, you know, this is going to be three parts. There's so much to yes. Helen Rosevere, and I don't think I'd be doing it justice if I tried to do it in just two parts or even just one part. And as um, Jasmine mentioned at the beginning, we're under a lot of pressure because we have this friend named Margaret Lolly yeah. who just loves Helen Rosevere. And she said, you better do a three-parter. Yeah, we are not allowed to do two. That's so, right. yeah, we have to do three. Sorry, folks. You're going to love it, though. Yes. You're going to love it. <laughs> anyway, we we want to thank you for listening. And we want to ask you to like us because uh, the more you like us, um, the more people that will watch this or, uh, sorry, listen to this. Yeah, can't yeah. watch us. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, but I'm you, glad about that. Yeah, but you can listen. And we, we'd love to have your input. And again, if you have somebody that you know of, and it doesn't have to be um, somebody who's well-known or somebody who did something um, incredible like some of these women did. It can be like a neighbor who told you about Jesus. I have uh, one woman in my life, Mrs. Grimshaw, who was my good news uh, teacher, who was an incredible influence mm. in my life. My neighbor, um, Kay Madison, who was an incredible influence on my life as a little girl to want to love Jesus. And of course, I've talked about my Aunt Easy before, and I'm sure you have people yes, in your life absolutely, too. absolutely. Absolutely. So please do write into us. Let us know about these gals. We, you know, you know, we've featured some of them before, so we want to get your stories. And, you know, we might even begin or end uh, some of these podcasts with your story before we launch into a, another person. So we want as many stories as possible. So mm -hmm. this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with the wonderful, oh gosh, brilliant <laughs> uh, Jesus and his daughter. Oh, nice. <laughs> with Jasmine on that, who is brilliant and darling, because she is the daughter of a king. So until next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.